Welcome to episode 29 of our Sunday Conversation presented by FL1 Radio. This week, we're sitting down with Leslie Danks-Burke, founder of the Trailblazers Pack, and Allie Woodard, recently named executive director of the organization. Ellie shared her personal journey through career and politics, and Leslie offered some really great insight into the two upcoming election cycles that folks are watching very closely. Trailblazers is becoming a force and has recently gone national. Instead of serving just New York and Pennsylvania, they are endorsing candidates across the country, and that's a really big deal. It means the front porch messaging is landing with folks in small communities who have otherwise been worn down by politics, the things they've seen on TV, or even the things that have happened in their own backyard or community. That conversation is on the way, but first, I have to thank this week's podcast sponsor, DeSanto Propane. A lot of companies say they are locally owned, but very few have been owned and operated here in the region for as long as DeSanto Propane. They've been serving upstate New York since 1937, and over the last 80 years, they've established a reputation for reliability and dependability that sets them apart from the competition. Quick turnaround times, on-time deliveries, and a fourth-generation family-owned business. You can learn more by visiting DeSantoPropane.com. And also, don't forget, guys, that this and every Sunday conversation is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume podcasts. We've seen some really great feedback, and if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. It helps new listeners find the program and lets us know that you guys like what we're doing and want to see more of it. All right, now that we've got all that out of the way, let's get into that conversation with Leslie Danks-Burke and Allie Woodard of the Trailblazers Pack. Trailblazers Pack gets politics out of the back room onto the front porch, and we do that by investing in candidates for local office who take real action for clean government. Our candidates aren't waiting around for the laws to change on campaign finance or pay-to-play politics. Instead, they're doing what our founders expected that we would all do as citizens and stepping up to follow a higher standard right now. Uh, And wonderfully, this doesn't just make our candidates good, honest people, but it also makes them more likely to win, and it creates communities around those candidates uh, that begin to demand and expect honest government. And when you're talking about such a broad region, when you're talking about the areas uh, that you're working, obviously you're working in New York State, but you're also, I believe, working in parts of Pennsylvania as well. Well, and this year we went national. So we've been working in New York State and Pennsylvania. We had about 250 candidates that we worked with over the 2017-2018 cycle in those two states. And then this year in 2019, we opened up our application pool to allow candidates from anywhere in the country who are running for local level office to apply for our endorsement. And so we have endorsed a candidate in Massachusetts. Uh, We had a candidate in, in Texas who unfortunately did not win her primary and so she didn't go on but she she certainly was someone that we were proud to work with uh, we've worked with candidates in Colorado Arizona we've got a candidate in Indiana we're working with so we've got people all over the country who are stepping up of any political party to really take government back into the hands of voters and citizens and enter Ellie Woodard 
uh, brand new, relatively new, uh, <laughs> executive director of Trailblazers. Um, walk us through what, what that process looked like, Leslie, in terms of finding Ailey, uh, and then also what some of the things you guys were looking for in that type of role to lead that national effort and that growing effort. It's, it's very exciting because we expanded to work with candidates anywhere in the country and because we were growing and we were recognizing that we had really uh, happened into something that, that is something that a lot of people in America care about right now. Um, we recognized that we needed to hire a full-time staff person in order to manage this, uh, this growing organization. And so Allie Woodard uh, came to us and we're very, very fortunate that she has a background in public policy and real experience in political communication, um, and yet also understands that the most important races in our country right now are not the ones in Washington, D.C., but are actually the ones that, that affect everybody's day-to-day -day life. And Allie, again, welcome to the show. Um, I, I guess my first question is, uh, chance encounter or was this sort of like the opportunity that you'd kind of been thinking about in the back of your mind for a while? Maybe both. Um, so I'm originally from Maine and I ended up going to college at Elmira College where I graduated in 2017. Immediately I went to graduate school at American University in Washington DC, lived there for two years and I started to kind of second guess if politics was really the field I wanted to go into. I mean, I put a lot of time and money into this field, but I started to feel like maybe it wasn't right for me. There was a lot of divisiveness and a lot of anger and just a lot of back and forth and so much polarization that I kind of felt maybe I, I can't really do anything with this. Like, I, I don't really feel like I can make any sort of change. And then I happened to be friends with Leslie on Facebook because when I was an undergrad at Elmira, um, I volunteered for her campaign and so I messaged her and I was like, Leslie, I'm kind of feeling a little frustrated with politics right now. Do you have any advice? She just happened to see my Facebook message and I remember her, you know, her response was, well, I actually don't really check my Facebook messages that often, but I'm really glad you, you messaged me. Let's get on the phone. So we started chatting for a few months. and. You know, she sent me an email saying, hey, there's this executive director position open, uh, opening. I, I think you should apply. So I went ahead. I sent in my application, not really knowing if, if this is, you know, what I wanted to do, if this was right for me. I mean, I'd already established myself in D.C. And I was thinking, do I really want to move back to the southern tier? But Leslie really convinced me. And the trailblazers that, you know, they've endorsed really inspired me to go back. I think the opportunity to work with candidates at the most, in my opinion, and I think all of our opinion at Trailblazers, the most important level of government was really exciting to me. And I kind of felt like maybe this was my purpose to actually help people at the most basic forms of government, because these are the people that are really affecting our day-to-day -day lives. And so I applied, I interviewed, I was offered the position, and within about a month, I packed up all my stuff again and moved to the southern tier and I am so glad that I did because since I've been there it's really confirmed that this is the right field for me and it doesn't have to be you know this divisive bickering back and forth out for yourself kind of attitude it's really just about working with people and talking to them and seeing why they do what they do and honestly just learning about how they can help their community which in turn makes me feel like i'm actually doing something to help people and i'm really glad that i did it i'm, I'm really happy to be here and, and i i guess the the natural follow-up to that is how does it feel getting that new shot of energy um in, in a field where you you felt like maybe yeah. the flame was burning out a little bit 
it feels it, it feels really good because you know like I said I, I put a lot of time and a lot of money into studying you know politics I now have a master's degree in political communication um, I volunteered for a few campaigns I mean I went to all the political rallies like I was very politically involved and to kind of feel like your passion is dwindling that's kind of a feeling of defeat and it kind of I mean, I mean it, it wasn't a great feeling right like it's it's really difficult to you know look at yourself in the mirror and say am I doing what I'm meant to be doing but then to be able to actually work with people at the most basic level and to be able to work with people who also feel that same way has just been incredible um, I'll give you a little example so we don't typically host events for candidates, but sometimes we'll get invited to events. Um, and there was one of our trailblazers, Celeste Friend in Utica, had an event where she um, basically every Wednesday she would have a dinner with all of her canvassers, right? So they'd go out, they'd canvass for the evening, and then they'd come back and they'd share a meal. So someone, one of the canvassers would uh, cook a meal. I guess there's like a contest to see who would cook dinner that week. I would say that we were a little reluctant at first because we didn't want to set the precedent that, you know, we go to everyone's house and give them an endorsement right then and there. But we thought, you know, maybe we'll just go. They invited us. So we went ahead, we went to this event and it was just outstanding. Um, we met with all of her volunteers and her canvassers that evening and we shared a meal on a front porch. And I thought that was the best thing because that's our motto. And I took a lot of opportunity to put a lot of tweets. Oh, look, we're sharing a meal on the front porch, but it, it was so fun and it was, it really reaffirmed my belief that this is the most important part of politics. These people who are volunteering their time, dedicating their evenings to go out and just knock on people's doors, which is not a fun task. People will slam the door in your face and they'll curse at you and they'll yell at you, but ever so often there are those people that are really, really interested and really want to hear what you have to say. And those volunteers and those canvassers kept doing it and they didn't stop. There was one woman who came in like, an hour and a half after the dinner had already ended and it's because she was spending all her evening canvassing and she went to every single door that was on her list. And I think that's just remarkable and shows so much tenacity of not just the candidate but all the people involved with that campaign and we were so excited to be there and I had this energy right after and I was telling Leslie oh my god I'm so glad we're doing like this this is really what what it is to to be in this field and i'm so excited it's what, yeah. it's what politics is supposed yeah. to be right i mean we're supposed to be talking with each other about where we stand on issues this is this is a government of we the people mm -hmm. and if we're not in there having conversations with our neighbors and and frankly debating our positions we're we're supposed to argue in a democracy that's how we're supposed to move forward it doesn't have to move into you know vitriol and anger and rage but we are supposed to have argument and we're supposed to stick with our views and really push for the best outcome possible that's how we know uh, we've we've achieved something is when everybody's put something into the conversation and we come out with a, a whole that is larger than than each of those individual opinions that happens on front porches right that happens when we engage with our neighbors and and you can do that at the local level these these local elections that are coming up in 2019 Allie and I are absolutely convinced that they are so much more important than any race that's going to happen in 2020 president Congress Senate <laughs> whatever it is everybody seems to be tied up in those let me tell you the 2019 races that are happening right now so much more vital for the long term now and, and plenty of them 
Um, I, I guess part of the next question that I have is, especially listening to some of her background, some of uh, Ellie's background, how important when you guys were going through the process looking for that next or that executive director, uh, how much was personal story playing a role in that? Because it sounds like her story is not that unlike a lot of, uh, a lot of folks who watch local politics and are just frustrated, they're annoyed, they don't think anything is done, they don't feel like getting involved, so they don't get involved. And it seems to be this pretty common story that everyone has or everyone knows someone who's had that experience and is bringing someone to the table who's turned the corner, who's now in a position where that, that fire has been reignited, is that really sort of the next step in getting more folks to the table in these local elections? Look, it it's wonderful, in my view, that we have a real surge in political engagement. And that is often tied to the guy who's sitting in the White House right now. But in my view, it's something that's been in the ether of American conversation for about the last four to five years. Um, president Trump became president not because of some, you know, asteroid hitting the country and suddenly he became president. He became president because we voted him into office. Um, and that was the output of a huge conversation that happened on the right um, about where we wanted to see this country going. There was a, there was a huge surge in populism. Uh, and that preceded President Trump becoming president. Now, on the left, we're seeing a huge populist serve in, in response to President Trump becoming president. That's not about President Trump. That's about Americans deciding that they're going to be participants in democracy again. And that, to me, is real positive. So when we were looking for someone to fill this executive director role, we knew that we wanted to find somebody who wasn't motivated um, exclusively by who's sitting in the White House, whether a fan of him or not. We wanted to find somebody who understood that there's this larger um, presence in American conversation right now of the voter, that the voter is really the most important person in our democratic republic. Uh, and it, it frankly doesn't really matter who's sitting in the White House. It matters whether as Americans we're engaged in our government. So when we looked at Allie, we really recognized that, yes, she was feeling defeated right at the time. A lot of Americans are feeling defeated right now. Uh, it, is, it is certainly a tough time to have politics, you know, political conversation be your profession or, or even be your hobby, right? It's, it, can, it can get demoralizing. But we wanted to find somebody who was in this um, not because she was motivated by any particular candidate, but because she was motivated by the idea that politics is supposed to be a contact sport and it's supposed to be something that we're all uh, fully participating in. So when you look forward now, when the two of you look forward, uh, does anything change? Obviously growing, growing, um, growing the effort is part of it, but what uh, what are the goals now? What are the steps that are be being taken now to continue doing what you guys do? 
lots of conversations about that we have we have an executive board that meets every two weeks to just really get a handle on this moving growing organization i don't know ali if you want to talk about kind of where we we see ourselves in three or five years sure so i mean we just became national um and i think becoming national means that we just have to have a bigger presence not only you know in in different communities throughout the country but our digital presence right so my background is in political communication that's what i have my master's degree in and you know one of the conversations that we had at our executive committee meeting was how do we fix that how do we make this better and i think just bringing us into the 21st century and just trying to explore new ways we can reach people on a digital level is really important twitter's great but there's so many other ways we can and you know reach people and i think that especially since we have candidates you know in indiana or colorado we can't be flying to indiana or colorado every weekend so we have to find new ways to engage with uh, to engage with voters and engage with candidates and i think that's something most political organizations and most political campaigns are dealing with right now is trying to find a balance between kind of that, you know, homegrown political, you know, on the front porch kind of mentality, but also how we can have the front porch be digital as well. And so that's really one of our, our biggest goals right now is to really invigorate our digital presence. And that coincides with our ability to go nat national and reach more candidates. There's candidates in every part of the country that are trailblazers and we just haven't found them yet. So we really wanna work with those candidates and as many as we can that we can take on and that are really quality candidates because the issues that we're facing, you know, nationally, you know, locally in New York might be different than the issues we're facing in Georgia or Colorado, but there's still that, you know, money and that dark money in politics problem everywhere. And so if we can work to help if we can help those candidates and we can work really hard to get them on board, I think we can, you know, have pockets throughout the country where there's trailblazers everywhere and that movement will grow. And I think it will grow organically and digitally. So I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to help us move in that direction, um, reach more candidates online and offline. And obviously Facebook is one of those, one of those weird platforms mm -hmm. where a lot of people like to talk about the divisiveness that is on the platform. Um, but it seems kind of hard to ignore uh, as being a force in all levels of politics. As soon as a story, or we see it at Finger Lakes One, of course, um, as soon as a story is posted on Facebook, there are about a dozen or two dozen or three dozen or more comments within 20 or 30 minutes, and it is just this debate, good or bad or indifferent. Um, is, is the push away from Facebook a good thing or a bad thing, do we think, in terms of finding that engagement because it does seem like especially when it comes to local issues whether it's good or bad that that kind of is the only place where the debate is happening at a scale that could really make some change happen it seems so so look Facebook is a profit-making enterprise right and it's not part of the so-called fourth estate in America where you know you have special rights accorded to journalism because we believe as a country in free speech and we believe that it's important for the participants in our democracy which are the voters to have full access to information so that's why we give journalists special privileges in in our conversation in our media uh, and and frankly in our constitution Facebook is a profit-making enterprise 
and it's selling a good and it profits off of our argument. So that's okay. That's part of capitalism and capitalism is supposed to coexist with democracy, right? But it's selling something just like Gillette sells razors or just like, you know, the grocery store sells frozen peas. And it's important to recognize that just because we like what they're selling doesn't mean that they should have special privileges. That's a huge part of what we're focused on at Trailblazers Pack is recognizing that you've got capitalism in one lane and you've got democracy in the other lane and they're both equally important, but you don't want to let one overcome the other. So how does that relate to do you use Facebook to reach voters? Absolutely you use Facebook to reach voters because it's a tool that's out there just like buying an advertisement in the newspaper is, just like picking up the phone, just like buying gasoline to propel your car so that you can get to the voter down the road. It's a tool you use and you certainly get everything you can out of that tool. But you don't start to conflate that with actual human to human, voter to voter contact because that's priceless, right? Um, so when we're looking at how do we reach voters and how do we find this balance, like Ali was talking about, between front porch communication, which we're really trying to bring back into the fore, and using digital media tools, you have to recognize that they're both, they're both equally important. In the end, people are more important. In the end, it's more about the person-to-person -person connection and are you having that argument that's going to move the conversation forward or are you just having rage and vitriol that pads Facebook's bottom line? But what about, so I, I, I just want to follow up there in terms of, we hear a lot of people talk about fake news, the misinformation that is spread on platforms like Facebook. Does that have to be combated to any degree? Because even in local elections, I've seen misinformation get spread around like wildfire on Facebook. And, and it's interesting to me because it, it doesn't get the criticism, I guess, from the, the watchdogs, the people who are watching yeah. Facebook and being critical of them. Um, that, of course, the Donald, the Donald Trump stories, the Hillary Clinton stories. But at the end of the day, it could be actually having a bigger impact because you're talking about elections that, that in a lot of cases are probably decided by a few dozen votes, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe less than 100 votes overall. Mm -hmm. Look, the original fake news was advertising, right? And we, we have always, as a consumer culture, understood that when the really beautiful advertisement comes on the television set and it's accompanied by you know, pop music and there's beautiful people selling frozen peas or Gillette razors, that that might not be real life. We've always gotten that, right? Um, and the constant tug and pull of advertising agencies is to try to bridge that gap and convince us just for a minute that your life really is better if you buy the right razor blades. We have to apply that same lens to Facebook because and Twitter and social media and pretty much anything you buy on the internet. Look, I'm, I'm a mom of two young daughters and we spend a lot of time talking about how everything you read on the internet is not true because it's advertising, because it isn't news, it isn't journalism. Real journalism is when a reporter goes and finds out person to person what the truth is 
doesn't believe everything he or she hears and gets back to his or her desk and writes that out or broadcasts that out in a way that is objective and factual. We have to recognize the difference between that and advertising. And that line is starting to get blurred with the internet. We're smarter than that. We know how to do this. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I've studied a lot of antitrust. We have regulations in place that we could choose to employ to fix this problem. We don't need new laws. We could put the antitrust laws that we've already got in place and the advertising laws and the communication laws and solve this problem. And when we talk about elections, this is something that I, I wanted to get both of your takes on. Um, publicly financed elections is something that seems to, at least in New York State, be getting a little closer to possibly becoming um, something real. What would that mean for trailblazers in terms of what you guys do on a daily basis? Obviously, we don't know what that would even look like. Um, but imagine in a perfect world, elections are publicly financed and everybody's operating off the same budget. Um, what would that mean for trailblazers and, and what you guys would sort of uh, do in terms of mission? It would be great. It would be fantastic because what we want to see is more and more voters involved in the conversation. And if, as a democratic republic, our elected officials decide to put in place a system of rules that is purposely going to engage more voters, that's a great thing. That's fantastic. Um, California has has a system of publicly financed elections. New York City has a system of publicly financed elections. It would be great to see that happen across New York State. Now, what that actually looks like and what system you actually employ, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? You need to make sure it's a system that actually includes voters in the conversation and doesn't just take our tax dollars and siphon it to the same folks who are already making decisions in the back room who already have all the levers of power at their disposal. Um, so I think that the real hesitation about public financing comes from those same voters who understand we're already getting winnowed out, right? We're already being kept out of the political conversation that's happening in back rooms. Can you tell me that this public financing system really is gonna take my tax dollars and, and put it to the kind of use that I would like to see it put to, which is actually including voters in the conversation? Y'all haven't done such a great track record of that so far. I'll believe it when I see it. And that's what a lot of, a lot of people's perspective on public financing is. And, and Ellie, having come from DC, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Is it a little bit, you know, for the layperson who's just sitting and listening and maybe they vote every couple cycles or they don't vote all the time, they may see this as sort of the silver bullet to solving this problem, but publicly financed elections, I would have to imagine, you're still going to see dark money, bad money, whatever you want to call it, in politics one way or another, um, unless a lot of other safeguards are sort of instituted along with it, or unless the plan is really, really good. Um, so what is, what's your outlook when you hear you know, elected officials talk now about publicly financed elections as sort of this fix-all to the problem we see? Yeah, I mean, I'm on the same page as Leslie. I think it's great in theory, but then when we execute it in practice, it kind of depends on the other parts. You know, it's not just one law that's strict public financing. There's all kinds of other players. And I think it, it really depends on what those other, or who those other players are, right? And I think what we do already at trailblazers is we're not actually waiting for that law to come to, to fruition we're actually having our candidates 
go above and beyond what the law requires anyway. So I think right now what we're doing at Trailblazers is kind of the step forward showing these voter powered campaigns, the people that are actually buying in to these candidates. And those candidates are, you know, being held to a higher standard once they get into into office. And so I think Again, it depends on the other moving parts that go along with publicly financed campaigns. I think, again, in theory, it's really cool and it's really interesting and it's a great idea, but I am worried with New York's track record of how they've kind of executed other or similar laws like this. I don't know if that would be the sole, like that would, you know, be the, that, that would be the conclusion of that. I, I don't think that would solve all the issues. I think instead when you invest your time and your money into candidates who are already going above and beyond, that's where we're seeing that real change happen. So can mm. both coexist? Sure. But mm -hmm. I think we still need to expect that you know, ethical and higher standard from our candidates already. And I, I think waiting around for those laws to change isn't going to cut it. We actually need our candidates to go out, listen to the voters, you know, have 1% of all of those 1% of all those donations come from within their district to help them get into office, but also to amplify the voices of their voters that are in their district that are buying into their campaign. I almost think of it as like a crown, a crowdfunded campaign, right? Like you see these GoFundMe things on Facebook and everyone in the community jumps in to help someone. That's kind of what's happening with our candidates is that everyone's jumping in, you know, doesn't matter if it's a hundred or a thousand dollars, people are putting mm. in their money and they're they're working with those those candidates right in their community. Exactly. And it isn't just dollars. It comes with literal buy-in, right? If you're getting a donation from someone who can vote for you, that's priceless. That goes way beyond money. It means that that voter is then engaged. And and getting back to Ali's point about how when we ask a candidate to follow a higher standard and to choose, look, it's, it's hard to be a candidate for office. And it's even harder to be a trailblazer because you don't just have to be a regular candidate for office. You have to go above and beyond. There's payoff because you're more likely to win. And also you end up with a community of voters around you who are engaged and that, that goes beyond election day. So this really leverages um, past any individual candidate. And I'm, I'm reminded of, um, Ali mentioned our, our candidate Celeste Friend in Utica. Um, I'm thinking of a, a candidate that we had last year, Mark Margison in Elmira. Mark uh, is a Republican. Elmira and Shimon County have been dominated by Republicans for a long time. You know, it could have been that Mark running as a Republican would just sort of go with the flow of, of the conversation that's been in place for a long time. Mark chose to follow a different path. He chose to go above and beyond. And he has brought a conversation into Shimon County politics that Democrats didn't bring to Shimon County politics and Republicans weren't bringing to Shimon County politics. It's a conversation that is owned by the voters who are supposed to own our government and supposed to own our democratic republic. A year and a half out from, from uh, Mark's race, the conversation is very different in Shimon County. And I think that's really tied to how he decided that he was gonna make voters the most important people in the room. Do we have a problem with how far out campaigns are starting now? Um, we have several candidates who have now been running for 
six or more months yeah. who aren't even on the ballot until next November, like November 2020. Yeah. Um, is that an issue? And does that need to be reined in a little bit through policy or otherwise to kind it's of save sure some sanctity? Because you have, you have voters who are already looking forward to 2020 and not even thinking about the 2019 elections. I know, I know. And we have to make sure that we get through these most important elections before we even start thinking about 2020. Um, again, I think it goes back to the money problem, Josh. I think that there there are a whole lot of corporations out there that make money off of us arguing with each other. And it's easier for them to poke us into argument about who's in the White House than about who's, you know, on, on common council in Utica. And so we're, we're force fed this media platform of we got to talk about it all the time. My sense is voters are tired. Uh, and and they're they're sort of exhausted with talking about it already. And we're over a year away from the 2020 race. So my advice to anybody who's already exhausted is, look, take a break from that because 2020 is still going to be there. It, it'll be there for, you know, 13 more months. We're good on that. Come look at the local level races because there's a lot of optimism there. There's a lot of excitement and you can actually get something done. You're not fighting this behemoth of, uh, you know, what direction is our country going in? You can make a difference in Seneca Falls. You can make a difference in Utica. Rate the excitement level that you guys have seen, one through 10, in these local communities that you're going into. Obviously, I've, I would assume every community is different, um, but rate that excitement one through 10, and then tell us one thing that gives you a little bit of optimism uh, in terms of looking ahead to 2019 elections, moving forward locally so before we have a trailblazer candidate the optimism is at around three after a trailblazer comes into the community the optimism skyrockets up to around eight and i'm not just saying that because i'm a fan of trailblazers pack it's true we see it on the front porches in utica we see it in shimon county in elmira we see it anywhere a trailblazer runs voters begin to recognize that they get to own this government again. What what makes you optimistic about looking forward? Sure. So to echo what you said about everyone kind of looking at the 2020 elections and being so exhausted, so tired, the debates, there's already been three. Um, yeah. I know, I'm already tired of the 2020 elections, but I think the 2019 elections are really exciting because of those conversations we're having. I don't think we should fear debate. I agree with you. I think we need to continue to have those conversations. And I think when we see candidates actually going door to door, they're volunteers working with those candidates to say, hey, look, I, I'm running for office. What can I do to help you? That is what really fuels my energy and makes me really excited for the 2019 elections and just local politics in general. We just endorsed our first candidate from Massachusetts and he's knocked on over 10,000 doors. I mean, yeah. he's, he's canvassed through his entire district of Newton, Massachusetts, which is a pretty big place, three times. And I, I, that's incredible. I mean, you don't see, you know, Joe Biden or, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren knocking on your door as much as I'm sure some people would like that but those aren't the people that are knocking on your door and right. saying hey tell me what your issues are that you're facing right now yeah those aren't the people it's the people like Brian Barish in, in Newton Massachusetts or you know Celeste Friend in Utica who are actually going door-to-door -door, working with those those voters and 
you know, getting them so excited to go out to the polls. Yeah. And I, that is what fuels me. It's just working with those candidates, meeting them and their voters, and just seeing what they have to offer in the community. I think it's so easy to just feel so defeated, so tired, so just exhausted with all of the noise coming from 2020. But I think if we step back and we just examine what's going on right now in our community, I think you'll be in for a pleasant surprise because there are great people on every side of the political spectrum that are working to help, you know, the voters right in their community. And that is what fuels me and gets me very optimistic about the 2019 election and beyond. Leslie, Ailey, appreciate the time. Uh, Leslie, one last time, uh, let our listeners know where they can learn more about Trailblazers and figure out what you guys are doing uh, every single day. So go to trailblazerspack.com, which is the home of Front Porch Politics, where we're making sure that voters are the most important voices in the room again.